Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, return to the Lord with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. There once was a famine in a land that is not too far from here. It was a very severe famine. And a family decided to gather together and have a meal on a weekly basis. Everyone would bring their resources And they would start the week this way with this meal as a way of having at least something decent to eat when many of the rest of the days offer nothing like that at all. And so on the first such occasion, the family gathered together and everyone had arrived, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, cousins, even a few friends. And the time came where everyone had gathered in the kitchen and all the supplies were laid out patriarch of the house reaches up from the top shelf and he grabs the old family recipe book and he opens it. By opening that book, unbeknownst to anybody else, the words inside would cause a slow meltdown for the entire family. Here's how it happened. See, there is Uncle Harry, and he was looking at all the recipes that they were flipping through, and he was reminded about how his family always cooks, and his family always has to cook things with vegetables in it, and Harry is not a vegetable person. And so Harry decides that he's going to go and lay down on the couch and eat a candy bar that he had hidden away, even in this time of famine. Harry was a resourceful uncle, so Harry walked away from the table because he found the food too hard to eat. Then, as the recipe book was opened and pages were turned, there were some interesting things. This was an old family recipe book handed down throughout the generations. Questions emerged like, what is a nut meat chopper? Weird gadgets and appliances like that were were referenced in the recipes and instructions on how to cook. Does anybody actually know what a nut meat chopper is? I just saw a picture of one. Um, I don't know. Oh, you have one. Great. But that, over time, created a bit of a division in the family. As the recipes were looked over, this recipe book that, again, had been handed down from generation to generation, this recipe book that had been at times altered or changed, some recipes had been taken out, some had been perfected, but this recipe book was the book for the family. It had everything. It was the way the family ate. It had fed the family through many ages. But looking at all these different recipes, there were some people that began to feel a little disconnected. They said, what is, what is a nut meat chopper? And what are these strange terms and measurements that we see inside of this recipe book? How are we supposed to know if it's right, if it's a pinch of this and a pinch of that? And this same group said, look out, look out. Look at all the other houses around us. All these other families are already eating. We should, we should do something a little bit more modern. We should get like an instant pot, you know, like an instant pot. Those are really cool. And, and we can make a meal like that. That's what all the families are doing who are successfully eating. Look around. There's another group in the family that was offended by this. As if to say that you can't make a good meal with this old recipe book. This is the way the family has eaten. Throughout the generations, both in times of famine and in times of plenty. In fact, we ate out of this book even earlier this week. What do you mean that we should do something like an instant pot and chuck this whole recipe book out? 
And so the fighting went on that way for a while, and then eventually a cousin, a beloved cousin in the family who had been through much in his life raised his hand and he said, I can't eat here. I just, I can't eat here. It's not the recipes. It's not how the food is made. I don't really care how the food is made. I can't eat here because being here with this family that's, that's fighting and arguing and, and thinking about these meals that, that used to be made reminds me of how my kitchen smelled in my own house while my parents were quarreling and fighting and divorcing. Eating here is a painful thing for me. I can't do it. And so the cousin left. Now, this caused a pause for everyone else who remained around the table staring at the recipe book and a sigh because the family did have a history of, of hurt, but it didn't last for long. And things quickly began to spiral downward because after that moment, the side that wanted to use the Instant Pot and throw away the recipe book began to use evidence as all the people who have left the family, if only we had done it this way, they would have stayed. The other side said, well, you know what? There's other people who have left because they find all this Instant Pot stuff meaningless. And goodness knows the last thing you need in a famine is meaninglessness. Uncle Harry sat on the couch and he pulled out that candy bar that he had been saving. He ate it because it was easy, comfortable, convenient. Somebody asked him if he would like some other food, and he said, no, it's fine, as he always liked to say. But he didn't realize that that was his last candy bar. And he didn't know, or maybe he just forgot, how severe the famine was. The fight seemed to go on for forever. And it goes on without end, even now. What's most heartbreaking and ironic about that is that the family didn't notice that a long time ago into the argument, the children left the table, confused and upset, and all the more hungry because they didn't even get so much as a bite to eat. This story is about our worship and our approach to worship. The recipe book is, of course, of course is the worship itself, the way we do it with all of its nuances and the way it's done with the hymns and the songs and everything else. The people around the table reflect the different attitudes that we have towards worship. There are those that neglect the commandment that God gives to come and gather together and worship. The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. There are those that are frustrated, that genuinely want a worship that reaches out among our walls. There are those also that deeply value tradition and the rich roots. And there are those that find it too hurtful to be here because they've been hurt by the church. And worshiping brings up painful memories. So as we hear Joel speak to us today, I'm particularly challenged by that word, gather. He calls us to gather an assembly, to gather together for worship and repentance. 
And all that might be easily done if only we could at least first gather. Lord, have mercy upon us. Because we have neglected the commandments of God to gather together with his people. Lord, have mercy upon us because we have refused to eat the good, solid, nourishing spiritual food that that our Lord regularly provides. Lord, have mercy upon us because we have been stuck in our ways and we refuse to change. Lord, have mercy upon us. Because when we disagree, we have name-called We have judged people. We have put them in boxes over this issue. And what we didn't realize is that while we're putting people in boxes, we put ourselves in a box saying, I will not be like them and go over there and do what they do and worship like they worship. Lord, have mercy upon us. Maybe we need a different question. The how needs its discussion and its time. But maybe right now we just need a different question. Have we been preparing our hearts to come together before the Lord and worship? Have we been preparing our hearts to come together before the Lord and worship? Have we noticed the depth of our sin, our disloyalties, our dishonesties, our dishonesty? Have we, have we noticed the way that we so frequently turn our back on the needy because it's not convenient to help? Are we coming here with broken hearts? A sick man who is dying does not care how the medicine is given or in which way it is applied only as long as that medicine saves because the dying man knows his needs. Dying man knows where worship starts. And I pray that the word of God would break the ground underneath our feet so that we can no longer fight on broken battleground, but rather gather before the Lord with broken hearts on holy ground. We as a church need both awakening and liturgy. Awakening and liturgy. Awakening is when the Spirit moves in a spontaneous and genuine moment that brings a person to repentance. Liturgy is that solid, steady nourishment. Awakening is what lights the fire. Liturgy is what keeps it going. We have a long way to go in this. Church needs both. Worship that reaches out beyond its walls and also worship that steadily feeds a deeply rooted faith within the walls. Because to have awakening without liturgy might be to have a a beautiful and passionate service, a passionate and exciting service, but a passionate and exciting worship done in vanity and in selfishness? It's like calling a bottle rocket a constellation of stars. Worship needs order and form and depth. But to have order and form and depth, dead hearts? Well, that's like like putting a dress on a rock and calling it a friend. 
awakening and liturgy and worship have always belonged together. I'll give you an example. In the time of Jesus, the words that structure their worship are the words that structure our worship. In fact, the worship that Jesus did back in those days is not as different from the worship we do now, not as you might think. The words, Amen, Alleluia, Hosanna, were just as prevalent in their worship as they are in ours today. In the time of Pentecost, the disciples had gathered together in Jerusalem. And there's this old, obscure theologian named Bo Geertz, and he points this out. In fact, he writes about all this liturgy and awakening stuff. And he says that, that you have both in this moment of Pentecost. You have that the, that the apostles were gathering together, and they never neglected to go to the temple. And they went there in the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. That's liturgy. You have the apostle Peter standing up and preaching preaching a word where he declares that the crowds there in Jerusalem, that they had killed Jesus. These people in this city not too long ago, in fact, did shout, crucify him, crucify him. And they beat their breast and they said, what shall we do? What can we do? That's awakening. And both of these things together lead to a healthy church lead to a church that worships together. Times are darker than we think, and the call for repentance, the call for gathering is more urgent than we might realize. Joel, in, his, in chapter 2, if you heard his words, talks about how young and old should, should gather together, how infants and nursing mothers should gather together, how the bride should leave her, her room and the bridegroom his chamber, and when you know that happens, that's serious should all gather together for both this awakening and this liturgy, the means through which God will crush a heart and make it alive again with this gospel. In fact, this is what Joel pictures all along. We've, we've already referred to Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2. Well, in Joel chapter 2, that's where Pentecost is prophesied. And we'll back up a little bit and tell the story of Pentecost. Of course, you have the disciples who've gathered together in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden there's a mighty wind that tears through the streets, and tongues of fire fall down upon the apostles gathered there. They begin to speak in these different languages. And, of course, that would draw a crowd. And so a crowd does come. Peter stands up and speaks. Again, he speaks a sermon of awakening, which leads to liturgy where the disciples are gathering together around the breaking of the bread word. And this is what Joel has envisioned all along in chapter 2, that in the last days, the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon people of all generations, upon people of every station in life. They might gather together with broken hearts and return to him wholeheartedly. He says, return with your whole heart, all your heart. Do not think that being a part of any service and going through that, that therapeutic motion of confessing your sins will bring you any closer to God if you do not also grasp the depth and darkness of your sin and also the much deeper and brighter 
promise forgiveness that is yours in Jesus Christ. Joel envisions worship like that. He says that in the days of darkness that are coming for the people of Israel, those who are gathered on Mount Zion, where the temple is, in Jerusalem, the city where the temple is, those who call upon his name will be saved. So it is for us. That we who gather here, broken hearts, we who gather here who have been crushed under the commandments of God, we who know our own failures, we who are in desperate need of hope and light, we who cannot carry our burdens a step further, find refuge in a merciful God, and we'll find refuge in repentance together.